0: So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech, Future Tech Health Podcast. I have Matthew Lundgren, Assistant Professor of Radiology, Pediatric Radiology at the Stanford University Medical Center, and we've been talking about AI hive mind uh, diagnoses, diagnoses of uh, conditions such as pneumonia. So uh, Matthew, thanks for coming. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting concept I recently spoke to a company that talked about uh, they call it swarms, but uh, it's collective decision making. But I would rather you, uh, I guess, talk about it than myself. So, how did this concept of uh, hive mind or collective decision making even come up? You know, at your uh, at Stanford, it seems like you know in the medical field, uh, doctors want to just decide on their own and be heroes. But uh, tell me a little bit about the background of how this came about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so the concept of using the hive mind for, you know, making better human based decisions or collective decisions was uh, actually from a startup company called Unanimous.ai. And it's led by a, a group of very talented senior researchers who had a technology that they believed could harness the power of human intelligence in creative ways to make predictions. And because, you know, there's a lot of science behind that, idea if you can do it right. And so they had essentially spent a lot of their early years working on things like, you know, predicting stock market um, outcomes or predicting, um, you know, winners of sporting championships and things like that. Right. Um, And then they started to think a little bit more about what other areas might benefit from these kinds of technologies. And so they reached out to me, I guess maybe it's been almost two years now and said, Hey, this is uh, what we do. This is our technology. It uses, um, you know relatively sophisticated you know software, including uh, components of AI to connect humans uh, in making decisions. and they wondered if there were things in at least in my area in radiology, but in broadly in medicine that could use this technology to, uh, to sort of make better decisions. and so we uh, we started a collaboration uh, around it um, and you know found a use case that was at least a popular topic at that time, which was when we had first released our work on detecting pneumonia on chest x-rays, which we were one of the first groups to do that and show that we could do that with AI alone at human level performance. And the idea here was, could a group of humans then do even better than either the AI model or a human alone? And so that's sort of what started that journey.
0: Well, I've seen um, articles about, let's say in the world of chess, you you have grandmasters Then you have brain masters collaborating with AI systems and it makes them even more powerful. So that seems to be one person, one machine. Um, This is what, just a group of people? Is a group of people plus AI or how is it structured?
1: Yeah, so the way technology works is that, um, you know, it takes a group of people and that's where the sort of the swarm idea comes from and then sort of asks everyone collectively the same question. So it's a real-time interaction. But you, unlike sort of a you know, a large conference call or something where you're trying to make a decision by committee, you don't actually know the identity of anyone else in this swarm. And there's a very graphical way that the people that are swarming interface that the the company has put together and allows you to kind of, you know, drive this little, it's kind of like, it's called a puck. But essentially, if you can imagine maybe a puck on ice that's, you know, can be slid around and each person has a, essentially a magnetic force that they can apply to that puck to pull it towards the answer that they believe is correct. And what happens is that, let's say there's 10 different people all trying to pull this puck with their own magnetic force towards the direction of an answer. Um, Even on fine-grained sort of answering uh, or decisions, uh, you can imagine that people are pulling in different directions, right? But eventually what tends to happen with this is uh, that a decision is reached when either there's a stalemate and people pulling in two directions or whatever, kind of landed in an area or there's sort of a a few that kind of just say, well, I, I initially was pulling in this direction, but I see that the entire group is pulling the other way. Maybe I will compromise in some fashion and pull a little less hard towards my answer. You know, the, And so you see those interactions happening in real time. Um, and it's fascinating to see how accurate uh, they end up being as a group. Um, and I got the chance to participate in this um, a few times. And it, it was remarkable. I, I would have, was very skeptical at first and um, came out a believer.
0: Well, why is this uh, better than you know a bunch of colleagues sitting in a room with a picture of a lung you know, up on the board, the light box, and discussing yeah, what they think it is?
1: Yeah, we've thought about that a lot. And and actually, this has sort of led to, um, to a lot more areas where we think this technology could have some benefit in medicine. But the reason is, is that, you know, for, for number one, as you know, in any meeting, there's often a leader or there's often a, you know, a person that may have more authority in some other way. They're very senior or uh, maybe they're famous for something or whatever. And when you have a group of people that include a heterogeneous degree of, you know, introvert, extroverts, um, you know, famous, not famous, whatever, leadership position, not leadership position, you tend to sort of find that, at least in my experience, that that would skew Decisions deferring towards uh, potentially those that have more authority, and maybe they're right, but maybe they're not. And um, and decisions could get made in that way. And I think in medicine, which tends to still be fairly hierarchical, you might find that decisions could be made with a lot less than the entire effort of the group in the room, um, because maybe the leader of the group or a, a respected authority or whatever has decided it's X, whereas maybe there's four or five people in the room that actually think it's Y. Um, what factors that play into them not influencing that decision are, that's an entire area of sociology, right? To discover what those factors are. We all, I believe, in our lives, inherently have situations where we've experienced that, right? And what this swarm technology does beyond just the fact that it has kind of an AI, you know, interaction background, it also allows anonymity and essentially equal weight to anyone in the group. Now, if you just had a very experienced person and a very inexperienced person, I'm not entirely convinced that the storm would be better. But the advantage then is that you have, you know, seven, eight, 10, a dozen people in space, collectively making that decision, putting effort into that decision, right? There's not like a meeting where people on their phones are getting distracted or whatever side conversations. This is literally Mm -hmm. a You know, everyone's focused on making that decision, um, which I believe also plays a part into that. But in general, it's a wonderful platform if you are in a situation where, uh, for example, you don't have a ground truth. So maybe you don't know what it is and you need to make a decision on what that is. Um, Finding that that can be a better way to source that is fascinating. And to get to a place where, you know, this could be used for areas outside of just, you know, diagnostic imaging or, or making a diagnosis, you can imagine that. There are many decisions in medicine that are often made by groups of people. And again, as we've all experienced, with a large group of people, no matter how educated or organized, there is still just a heterogeneous and ultimately maybe not efficient way that we tend to sort of fall to a collective decision in a lot of those settings. Now, has it worked for eons in medicine? Sure. But is this potentially a technology that we could see you know invading some of these areas and making parts of medicine more uh responsive better making better predictive decisions making better treatment decisions you know maybe and i think that that's a very interesting line of inquiry that we that we're looking into uh you know again just thinking outside of simply diagnostic radiology
0: all right so some questions about it uh, are you choosing who is going to be the group, be in the group you just don't know once they're in the group who is speaking on a particular topic or Are you actually getting people into the group that you don't even know who they are from the outset?
1: So that's a great question. They've worked on other areas where, you know, they can use the wisdom of a crowd in a much larger setting where they can literally just sample, you know, Joe Smith off the street, right? And just have, you know,
0: dozens. I know. I'm talking about in like, you know, a medical decision in the hospital. Do they, as an example, you know, patient X, um, I can see this being useful if you brought in all the nurses or nurse caring for the patient the doctor that's on call, plus a specialist, plus, you know, someone else. So they all know who's going to be there. They just don't know who's who once they're in the room. Essentially, they're, you know, blindfolded. So they can all discuss, but the nurse maybe doesn't have to feel uh, intimidated because the other people in the room, she doesn't know who they are. They don't know who she is, you know, once they're in the room. So they can all comment more in in relative social safety and still be heard. Is that kind of how it happens or...
1: Well, I mean, it's obviously, it, it. yeah, I mean, I think in some way that's true. It's sort of an interaction on a computer, right? So, um, you know, so you actually aren't hearing or seeing anyone. <laughs> so there's really literally no potential for bias there in, in terms of knowing who. Now, obviously, you know, maybe broadly, if there's 10 people, what, who those 10 people are, but there's no way to identify, you know, that it's part of this, you know, decision making process in here. And so, you know, I think that's an interesting thought is could you use it for, you know, day-to-day treatment, I think it'd be pretty inefficient to make day-to-day treatment decisions, but certainly for large decisions like, does this person need a liver transplant or organ allocation for those liver transplants or what kind of chemotherapy to use if there's other options? Like, so those big decisions that are often made in medicine by a committee, you know, you can imagine that this sort of semi-anonymous way of making decisions where everyone's engaged in making, uh, you know, sort of a decision on a case-by-case basis in that environment might be better.
0: Okay so for more serious things let's say again someone uh, maybe a liver transplant candidate what would a swarm there look like or a hive mind it would be what uh, four or five different uh, you know liver specialists and they would go into this uh the swarm and then just discuss openly there what or what is the uh first you know how is the group chosen and then what is the uh the hive mind application look like
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. Yeah. So in our experiment where, you know, they put up, you know, there's a moderator, right, who is not involved in medicine, um, who kind of sets up the questions ahead of time that need to be asked. So, you know, showing an image to a group of people that are all logged in on the swarm, right, they're all connected to this, you know, software running in the background and presenting a user interface, as I described, which is sort of like this puck that you kind of you know, graphically move around in a group of other people. Um, the way that decision is made is, again, you know, there's a moderator that says, hey, here's image number one, please move the puck towards the percentage likelihood that there's pneumonia on this x-ray, right? And so the counter will start and everyone has, you don't know who they are, but everyone's on this interface and we're all trying to pull this puck, move it to the place that represents the likelihood. So if I think it's 75% likely, then I will pull it towards 75. And other people may believe it's 25%. So they're pulling it towards 25. And if there are a majority of people that are pulling it in a, maybe in the 25 direction, then I will ultimately not affect the puck to move or the, you know, the final decision to be at 75. So maybe it'll be at like 26% because I've decided it's definitely more than 25 or whatever that is. And so that is actually the proprietary piece of this. You know this group's work, which is just sort of how that uh, you know decision ultimately falls, and and how much strength you know each individual sort of weighs in on the decision. But in general, if you were using this example, you take ten radiologists and you ask them to, you know, be on this decision software program swarm at a certain time. We all would log in at our own computers and we would go through the cases that uh, were part of this test. Now, in a real clinical setting, that's an incredibly inefficient way to do routine care, but you can imagine that there are cases that are difficult. There are certainly situations, as I've mentioned with the liver example, is that there are already groups. So, you would just have the group just be on the swarm as opposed to meeting in person, right? And So, then- I mean,
0: if you, um, if you had this for a particular process and you wanted to really test it out, you would quantify the process, and that would speed it along. Let's say um, when radiologists look at, a, you know, a radiograph of, again, a certain part of Let's say, you know, just talk about lungs, all right? They're looking for know, pneumonia or, or lung tumors. You probably could break this down into a series of steps that they always tend to go through by asking a few of them. And then you step the group through the steps. Look at the lower lobe here. Do you see blah, blah, blah? Yes, no. Look at this. Do you see that? Look at that. Do you see that? And then, you know, what is your opinion of this based on these five observations that are here in the picture? And if you step people through it, I think you'll be pretty efficient. And you can still get everyone's input and then drive towards the decision.
1: Yeah, I think that that's it. yeah. I so you're, what you're saying is like, can you systematically walk people through the diagnostic process? And I think that's one way to yes. do it. That you know, for most types of imaging, using the chest x ray as an example, it takes less than a second for most radiologists to make their decision on what they think it is. I mean, we've looked at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these, so we've become very good. So, but to your point, if you had a more complex imaging study, so let's say for example a whole body MR. Uh, which is incredibly complex, has thousands of images, in that case, then yes, if you're trying to put a swarm together around a difficult case, you would want to direct the group to certain parts of the study to make it more efficient, because otherwise you'd be spending a lot of time going through things that aren't really, you know, applicable to the problem. So yeah, that's exactly right. How That's a, how you would make that more efficient in a large study. But for chest x-ray, again, we can pretty much make a decision around, I be mean, some studies have shown uh, around a second it takes for someone to decide who's experienced, whether it's normal or not. So that first decision's already out and then really only a few more seconds to figure out what is going on.
0: Well, I understand it's for more complex cases. And my example wasn't good, but okay, gotcha.
1: You know what I'm saying, yeah, exactly.
0: So instead of people, or in addition to people just nudging percentages, what if you have to make a comment in order to support your percentage? You know, I think it's 70% this way instead of 70% that way. Can you say, here's why and put a comment in?
1: I think that's the brilliance of this is that there is literally no other interaction besides just moving this around. So it really doesn't matter if you have enough people in the swarm, whether your justification for your decision is based on, you know, your belief, your evidence, evidence you read about, whatever. Um, And maybe it's just a gestalt. Um, But as a group, that decision is ultimately, at least with this logic, more informed um than any one individual. So again, I think that if you have the option to make your case as you're suggesting, I you know, my concern there again would be that you're back to the the committee model where someone may be better informed and persuade someone using evidence right or a great well-crafted argument. Um and that would, you know, potentially bias either rightly or wrongly towards that person's opinion. And I think that the beauty of this especially when you have again 10, 12 people all interacting anonymously is you just have to pull the puck to where you think the answer is. And sometimes the more experienced people are like, in fact, an anecdote here was, you know, in our group, we had a very experienced senior chest radiologist. So he's a specialist just in looking at, you know, x-rays and CTs of the chest. And he walked away from the whole thing thinking, these guys made a lot of bad decisions. As a group, like because he was you know he found himself pulling in a different direction than, than the group were at, at a certain points and he was the most surprised to see at the end um, how well the group did um, on the diagnostic task and in some cases beating his performance individually, which was really a surprise
0: yeah, but who determines the points that the puck can be pulled to that could skew things if you know one that should be there isn't there, or maybe somehow one is overrepresented uh, because it shows that there's two different uh Pull points.
1: Yeah. So the way it's lined up is actually pretty elegant. So in the first round, there would be, there's five choices between zero and, you know, 15%, for example, and then you kind of go all the way up to 100. And then once the group has decided in which bucket it would go into, then you have a second follow up that puts it on kind of a longitudinal timeline from the, you know, if, so if we all chose, it was between zero and 10% likely as a group, then it goes to a second piece, which is zeros on one end of this line. And tens on the other end of the line, and you have to pull it now along the line to land in the right spot. So they've actually done an incredible job to remove things uh, like you know biases that would be from, uh, as you've suggested, overrepresentation or leaving potential answers out. And so yeah, but but that's a great question because you would be concerned if you weren't represent. You could write a bad question and end up with you know a completely useless <laughs> prediction because you've left out all the possibilities.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean, is how do you control for something like that? You know, like the person that creates the the hive would have to know probably quite a bit about the problem. They can't just randomly throw stuff up there. So uh, does that person bias the process in such a way where you really can't get the right answer? How do you do that?
1: Well, you know, for diagnostic tasks, that's less of an issue if you're looking at narrow areas. So, you know, for example, if you're looking at pneumonia, your question is, is there pneumonia? What's the likelihood of pneumonia on this film? And... There's no real way to continue to bias that the way that they had set it up in the sense that they give likelihood percentages of yes. Um, Now, if you said, um, you know, what's the likelihood that um, this is normal or not or something, you know, a little bit more broad? uh, Yeah, then maybe, you know, somebody might consider abnormality being, you know, anything, Uh, And some other people might consider abnormality only counting for things in the lung, and there's other stuff that's around there doesn't count. So there definitely could be issues with not understanding the rules of the questions or understanding the premise of the questions correctly, and that would be a concern if you use this in sort of a haphazard way. I think that, um, again, having well-defined questions before starting this, and ultimately that's what you would use it for, because as I said earlier, it's a pretty inefficient use of time um, for clinicians to do this on every case, right, on every decision. But for tough things and for things that matter and for things that humans aren't really awesome at, uh, it could be pretty great.
0: Okay. So where do you see this evolving or how do you see, um, you know, hospitals or doctors or other medical systems using this best?
1: You know, you know, I'm not sure yet. I think we're still in a very much an exploratory mode. I think that the work that you've seen and, and that is making its way we we actually did some follow-up work that um hopefully will be published soon that was um the work that I believe that you mentioned at the beginning uh, that we discussed was based on an abstract at a conference and so we've actually gone on to do more work around that problem but you know our job is to sort of find spots in the medical care you know system that have some big impact so i think you know i kind of referenced um the idea of organ transplant earlier i think that's an important area um, also, to, something called tumor boards, where, again, a lot of doctors get together and try to make difficult decisions on certain patients that are either very complicated or, or you know, or having some sort of a major decision point in their care. If that's done by a, a group of people, 15 doctors in a room at, you know, a certain time, you can imagine that there would be opportunities there to potentially explore how the swarm technology would compare and how the patients that were, you know, sort of underwent that decision-making process versus the typical meeting process, how they fared differently or what their outcomes were. Those are larger studies that would require, you know, a great deal of effort and time that we're sort of still gathering data to make sure that it makes sense to to attempt one of those.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, very good. Um, Any other tweaks or surprises or uh, interesting ways that you've thought of to use this that are not currently being proposed to you?
1: I was actually hoping to ask them if I could use this to, to predict the the outcome of the March Madness because my bracket was terrible, but uh, they wouldn't let me do that, so uh, <laughs> I don't have anything I can share with you beyond that.
0: That's funny. You know, when you used it, any observations you had that uh, again were surprising to you? I don't know if we have covered them, but anything else when you went through it yourself?
1: Yeah, I think you know, just sort of back to the earlier you know discussion. I, I really was surprised that it worked. I was a huge skeptic of this. Um, at the beginning. And in that test and then in follow-up tests, we've consistently seen how well it does. And, you know, we uh, are believers now. Um, it's just about trying to figure out how do we put this in the right place to, to have the biggest impact um, for our patients.
0: Do you see the um, AI assistant doctoring, I'll call it as, uh, could it be done in this way somehow where the AI actually, the uh, I guess the other invisible partner in the hive mind or the swarm, you know, even for smaller decisions, I guess one way to do it is, you know, a patient comes in, looks like they have X, Y, Z going on with them. The AI says, check this, check that, look at it. Another way maybe is same scenario, but it looks more like a, you know, hive mind type application with a nudging of a, like you said of a puck. Any you know, with just two people, again, one AI, one doctor is a, would that be a better mechanism to do it? Do you see any application there or needs more than that to work?
1: Well, so, I mean, now that you're mentioning, I mean, obviously a lot of, so I'm the associate director of the Artificial Intelligence and Medicine Imaging Center at Stanford. And in that role, um, which goes well beyond this research, we have close to a hundred now different projects that involve the use of AI in, in medical applications. And, you know, so there are literally almost an infinite number of possible human you know, AI combinations and where AI can make major impacts in sort of the work that we do in healthcare and figuring out, just as you're suggesting, what are the optimal places where the human and machine can interact and, you know, ultimately have better outcomes for patients. That's literally all we do all day is try to figure that out. And we've had some really interesting success um, using individual AI models that were trained to make, you know, very specific decisions. Um, And then sort of having that model help the human uh, with some additional information in in that case. And then together, you know, quote unquote, together, they're making a final decision on the patient. So those areas are great. Now, swarming, I think, is a different interaction that has not, in my mind, ever been done in the way that this company has done it. And so that was one of the reasons we were intrigued and brought them on board to work with us, um, because we hadn't considered the fact that multiple humans together could be sort of augmented with AI in a different way, not like AI is making, trying to do the same job as the human, but in this case, AI is facilitating the humans making better decisions, if that makes sense. And so that's what was so cool about the Swarm project. But to answer your question more broadly, I mean, there are many different applications of AI models that work in different levels of healthcare, um, and they act in a similar way to humans. And so adding that decision onto the human just makes the humans better informed, at least in our experience.
0: Yeah, I just didn't know if this, um, you know, this hive mind model uh, gave you yet another way for people to interact with AI, not just other people.
1: Absolutely. That's why we're excited about it. I mean, because, again, you know, we say AI here and then obviously that term is abused. Uh, but in general, the, the the sort of type of machine learning or AI that's happening here is vastly different than the type that I think that we see grabbing headlines for other work that either we or, or our colleagues around the world are doing uh, in the sense that there is no duplication of a human task here. And so that's why we're excited, I think, about adding this to the sort of armamentarium that we have um, to say, hey, you know, maybe you and I and, you know, 10 of our closest friends are, are doing a marshmallow bracket or whatever. Can we make a better decision together with something like this? Same thing in medicine. Hey, I've got this really complicated patient and I want to make sure they have the best possible outcome Let's get this together um, and get a, you know, a swarm on this and see see what decision we would come to that way.
0: Okay. Well, very good. So uh, what's the best way for listeners to find out more and maybe to reach out and ask questions?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so I would definitely put a plug in for Unanimous. Uh, it's at their site, unanimous.ai, um, and they have plenty of videos and lots of – in fact, I think they were featured at South by Southwest. So they're having tremendous success. Um, And we're very excited to work with them uh, at Stanford as a partner. And then um, in terms of questions for me, obviously, I can be reached at uh, mlungren at stanford.edu. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, Matt Lungren, MD. And uh, yeah, happy to entertain uh, questions and comments.
0: That's great. Well, Matthew, thank you for coming. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for hosting.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs.